0: Welcome to the Determined Truth Podcast. I want the truth! You can't handle the truth! Where we aim to explore questions of truth, the scriptures, and what it means for the church today. Here's your host, Rob Dalrymple. Today's podcast is from a sermon series I did on the Gospel of Luke. I hope you enjoy. If you have your Bibles, open them up to the Gospel of Luke, chapter 24. I just looked at the page number, I think it's 738 or 748, one of the two, uh, in the Pew Bibles. Uh Uh-oh. Um, There we go. And the question is, the resurrection, do we really believe in it? And and I think we do, but I think we don't always. And that's kind of the point that we want to discuss this morning. Luke chapter 24. uh, Again, the resurrection of Jesus Christ is the single most important event in history. It is far and away the key event of the Christian faith. Without a resurrection, there's no Christianity. Without a, if there's a cross but no, no empty tomb, it doesn't matter. It's just a man dying on a cross. The resurrection of Jesus is the central pillar of the Christian faith. So Luke chapter 24, we'll begin in verse 1. On the first day of the week, at early dawn, they came to the tomb, which is referring to the women, bringing the spices which they had prepared. And they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus." Verse 4, while they were perplexed about this, behold, two men suddenly stood near them in dazzling clothing. And as the women were terrified and bowed their faces to the ground, the men said to them, Why do you seek the living among the dead? He's not here, but he has risen. Remember how he spoke to you while he was still in Galilee, saying that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified, and the third day rise again. And they remembered his words, and they returned from the tomb. And report all these things to the eleven and to all the rest. Now there were Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Mary, the mother of James. And also the other women uh, who were uh, uh, with them were telling these things to the apostles. But these words appeared to them as nonsense, and they would not believe them. The women come to the tomb according to the biblical story, because on Sunday morning, uh, to anoint the body of Jesus. Uh, The Jewish world had a scruple that the Romans uh, uh, obliged with, and that is... They cannot leave a victim on a cross overnight. In the Roman world, crucified victims would be left on crosses for days until they eventually died. In the Jewish world, if you leave a a person on a cross overnight, we are all cursed. Not just the guy on the cross, but all of us. So the Jews went to the Romans and said, we're not going to let you let him hang there. So the Romans said, okay, we'll respect that. And they would break the victim's legs, which would not allow the victim to push up and breathe, and it would hasten death. Well, they got to get him buried the same day that he dies, and the time frame is, 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 is limited. According to the biblical stories, Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus went to uh, um, um, Pilate and said, Hey, can we have the body of Jesus uh, to bury him in a private tomb? But the women couldn't see from a distance whether or not they prepared spices and burial clothing for them and what have you. So they had to wait. So the problem is that the next day is the Sabbath. So they come by on early this Sunday morning, the first day of the week, it says, in verse 24, verse 1. Uh, Early dawn, the first day, it's Sunday. The woman comes to maybe prepare the body for burial in case it hadn't been prepared for burial. When they get there, they find that the the stone's rolled away and, and there's no body. They're perplexed and they're wondering, verses 4 through 7, and two men stand there, most likely angels. Why do you seek the living among the dead, they say. Uh, Kind of a a soft, gentle admonishment. You should know he's not going to be here. Don't you remember everything he told you guys when you were in Galilee? Why are you looking for Jesus' body? You should have known that it would have been empty. He told you these things. Verse 8 says, Then they remembered these words. And they went back and told the disciples. But guess what the disciples said? This is nonsense. And they would not believe them. A little while later, verse 13 picks up the story. Behold, two men... or or not two men, two of them. I think it's uh, a man named Clopas and his wife, perhaps. Uh, We don't know who the second person is. But two of them were going that very day to a village named Emmaus, which is about seven miles from Jerusalem. And they were talking with each other about all the things which had taken place. While they were talking and discussing, Jesus himself approached and began traveling with them. But their eyes were prevented from recognizing him. He said to them, what are these words that you are exchanging with one another as you are walking? And they sit still looking sad. One of them, named Clopas, uh, answered and said, Are you the only one visiting Jerusalem and are unaware of the things which have happened here in these days? And he said to them, Well, what things? And they said to him, The things about Jesus the Nazarene, who was a prophet, mighty in deed and word, in the sight of God, and all the people, how the chief priests and our rulers delivered him to the sentence of death and crucified him. Verse 21. But we were hoping that he was going to redeem Israel. Indeed, besides all this, it's the third day since these things happened. But some of our women amazed us. And they went to the tomb early in the morning, and they did not find his body. And they came saying that they had seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. Now, some of of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just exactly as the women had said. But they didn't see Jesus. And he said to them, O foolish men, And slow of heart to believe in all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary for the Christ to suffer these things and enter into his glory? Then beginning with Moses and with all the prophets, he explained to them the things concerning himself in all the scriptures. As they approached the village where they were going, um, and and he acted as though he he were going further. Verse 29. But they urged him, saying, Stay with us, for it's getting toward evening, and the day is now nearly over. So he went in to stay with them. When he reclined at the table with them, he took the bread and blessed it. And breaking it, he began giving it to them. Then their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he vanished from their sight. They said to one another, Were not our hearts burning within us while he was speaking to us on the road? While he was explaining the scriptures to us? And they got up that very hour and returned to Jerusalem. And they found gathered together the eleven and those who were with them, saying, The Lord has really risen. He has appeared to Simon. They began to relate experiences on the road, and now he recognized uh, how he was recognized by, uh, by them in the breaking of the bread. Verse 36. While they were telling these things, he stood himself in the midst of, the, of them and said, Peace be to you. But they were startled and frightened and thought they were seeing a spirit or a ghost. And he said to them, Why are you troubled? Why do doubts arise in your hearts? See my hands and my feet. It's I, myself, touch me and see. A, a, a spirit doesn't have flesh and bones as you see that I have. And when he said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. Well, they could still could not believe it because their joy and amazement, he said to them, have you anything to eat? They gave him a piece of bro fish and he took it and he ate it before them. Notice the lack of unbelief going on in the story. The two men on the road to Emmaus refer to Jesus. Uh, hey, you know, are you the only one that's, that, that, that's new to the city? that You don't know what's going on here in the city? Uh, there was a man named Jesus, and we thought he was a prophet. Notice they called Jesus a prophet. That's it. He was a prophet. We know he's more than that. But by now, he's dead. And so, well, the best we can do is he's a prophet. Some of our women amazed us because they went to the tomb this morning, and, they, and he wasn't there. And some of our disciples went to the tomb, and he, and he wasn't there. And then Jesus said, how how foolish are you and slow of heart to believe all that the scriptures have said. It says, beginning with Moses and the prophets. Moses is a way of referring to the first five books of the Old Testament. The prophets is a Jewish way of referring to the rest of the Old Testament. Beginning with Genesis and going through Malachi, as our Bible would read. He began to show them all the scriptures concerning himself. What was interesting is they still don't understand. They still don't believe. They don't seem to believe until he breaks the bread. I think maybe what happened is when he, when he breaks the bread, he does this. And they see the nails. And they see the scars. And then they well, weren't our hearts burning within us while we were walking? Oh, it's him. And so they rush back to the upper. Now, Emmaus is seven miles from Jerusalem to the west. We don't know how far they had gone, but they run back to Jerusalem now. And they they go back to to, to where the disciples were. Mind you, the doors were locked because the disciples were afraid. You just crucified Jesus. We don't know what they're going to do to us, so we're going to lock the doors. So the two men from Emmaus come back, Clopas maybe and his wife, whoever the other person is, and they say, Hey, look, we've seen him. We've seen him. Then Jesus appears in the room with locked doors. Okay, think about this. The tomb's empty. The women saw him. The women had, saw, saw angels. They go back and tell the disciples. James, uh, John and Peter run to the tomb, according to the other gospels. They also see Jesus and find the tomb empty. And they, they come back. The two men have seen Jesus on the road to Emmaus. They, Jesus now appears in a room that's locked. And they're like, oh, uh, no, we don't, I'm not sure. Uh, why are you doubting, he says. The first response was the doubt. Why are you doubting? He says, hey, look, do you guys have anything to eat, because surely ghosts don't stick around for dinner, and I'm hungry. Let's have some food. They don't believe. Jesus turns and says, "Look at my hands and my feet. It's I, Jesus." What does this mean for us? To, what does this mean for us today? Let me make, and we can go a long time here. I really want to, but I can't. Uh, I know you want me to too, but I, seriously, I know we'll do our best. Number one, Jesus rose from the dead. The resurrection of, of Jesus Christ is a central element of Christianity. And the fact is that Jesus Christ rose from the dead. We're going to study the book of Acts in, the, in January for, for, I won't tell you how long, because I don't know. Um, the central proclamation of the Christian church throughout the entirety of the book of Acts is Jesus Christ has been crucified, buried, and risen again. We read Laura read 1 Corinthians 15 for us in, the, uh, in one of the readings. Uh, it's probably the oldest Christian creed we have. 1 Corinthians 15, 3-8. Let me tell you, of first importance, Paul says, this is the oldest creed we have, and here we go. Of first importance, Jesus Christ was crucified, buried, and risen again. Without the resurrection of Christ, there is no Christianity. Without the resurrection of Jesus Christ, he may have been a good teacher. Uh, he may have healed people. He, he may have even suffered wrongly at the hands of the Romans and, and, and the officials. But in the end, he'd be no different from any other religious teacher out there. He might have been an innocent victim of a cruel regime, but he'd still be no different from any other religious teacher out there. Without the resurrection, in fact, all of his promises are foolishness. In fact, I don't think we can, can even say that he'd be a good moral teacher, because if he's not risen from the dead, then he's a fool. Because he said he was going to raise himself from the dead. In fact, he told us that if we want to be his disciples, we need to take up our cross and follow him too. Why? If a cross just simply means the end. He, he's not a good moral teacher. All his promises would be empty. 1 Corinthians 15, Paul picks up the same thought. Verse, uh, chapter 15, verse 13. If there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is useless, and so is your faith. More than that, we are found to be false witnesses about God, because we've testified about God that He raised Christ from the dead. But He didn't raise Him from the dead, if in fact the dead are not raised. Verse 16, For if the dead are not raised, then Christ has not been raised either. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile, you're still in your sins. Those who have fallen asleep in Christ are lost. If only for this life we have hope in Christ we are to be, uh, of all people, the most to be pitied. We're wasting our time here, folks. There's some football games on right now. I'm sure the Patriots are are probably off to a good start. But we're we're missing out on things if there's no resurrection from the dead. I've spent a lot of time and a lot of money in school to get this high-paying job that I have (laughs) for nothing, if there's no resurrection from the dead. We to be pitied more than all men, Paul says. If Christ has been raised from the dead, then there is meaning. There is purpose. There is value. Evil has been defeated. Death has been defeated. Later on, chapter 15, Paul says, Where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? The sting of of death is sin, and the power of sin is in the law, but thanks be to God, he gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. And even Presbyterians can say, Amen. There's meaning to the suffering in the world. God allows evil to continue, even though it's been defeated, so that there's opportunity for humanity to repent and join Him in the resurrection life. The resurrection makes sense of everything, and without it, nothing makes sense. Secondly, we too will rise from the dead. Because Jesus has risen from the dead, the second fact that comes from his resurrection is the fact that we also will rise from the dead. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 20. But Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. Romans 8, verse 18. I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. The fact of Jesus' resurrection ensures the fact of our resurrection. But there's a third point, and I think this is the one that we often miss a a little bit, and that's this. Resurrection living begins now. Resurrection living begins now. It's not just that Jesus rose from the dead and someday we too will rise. It's the fact that we already are, in some senses, resurrected. Ephesians 2, verses 4 and 5. Paul says, But God, being rich in mercy, because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions, he made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. 2 Corinthians 5, verse 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone. The new is already here. And that's where I think I, I say, I think oftentimes in our life, we don't live as though that number three part is a reality. We, we, we live as though number two is what we're looking forward to. Someday we'll be resurrected, and that's true. We, we do look forward to that when, when there's no more pain or suffering or, pain or, 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 or hunger or, or death. We look forward to that, but at the same time, resurrection life is already present in the now. I suggest that we don't believe in resurrection when we don't spend time daily in prayer. I think we don't believe in resurrections when we don't read and study the word of God in a regular part of our life. When we don't allow Christ to transform us into resurrection persons, as though resurrection is only something in the future. I think when we worry about money, jobs, health, and food, and we don't trust Christ, and we don't believe in resurrection life. We could add to this list many, many things. When we have fear, when we have anxiety, when we have stress, when when we don't cast all of our cares upon Him, we don't really believe in resurrection life. When we spend too much time attending to the matters of this world and not enough time attending to the matters of God's kingdom, we don't believe in resurrection life. When we're content just being who we are, and not who Christ wants us to be. We don't believe in resurrection life. 1 Timothy 4a, Paul says, For physical training is of some value, but godliness has value for all things, holding promise for both the present life and the life to come. Matthew 6, which I think this is perhaps the most significant passage in the New Testament. I'll say that about 15 other passages, but this will roll with me. Matthew 6, verse 25, and verse 33. Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food and the body than more than clothes? Verse 33. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. If you have time, and we do, meditate on Matthew 6, 25-33. Just... just it just live there for a month. Live there for a year. Read it every single day until you have it down by to, to memory without without a question. You simply know it like you know the Lord's Prayer and any other famous verses in Scripture. Why do you worry about life? Look at the birds of the air. Look look at the lilies of the field. If God so feeds the birds of the air and, and clothes the lilies of the field, will He not care for you, O men of little faith? Instead, seek first His kingdom. And his righteousness and all these things will be given to you as well. Now, the next question I want to address here is is this, is how how do we know that this is true? And and, and let me digress for a few minutes to discuss this. One of the questions that that I think is out there that we raised the last few weeks is is this, is why and how did anyone believe this message? The uh, the disciples get together in an upper room after Jesus has been crucified. and, And now they've got this quandary. They thought Jesus was, was, was the Messiah, and right now they're, cons- they're content to think maybe he was just a prophet, but even then we're not sure if he's even a prophet. So they can decide, well, we can go home, go back to our fishing villages, and go back to our tax collecting and whatever other businesses we were doing, and we can just go admit to everybody that we were wrong. We followed this guy around for three years, and he, and he did a lot of really cool things. We, we got to see some stuff that was pretty cool, and he said some really nice things that I can I live by. But he's dead. They can do that. Or, the skeptic says, they can come up with some kind of story. They they can kind of keep this thing going. They can go out there and just like, no, 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 no. You might have killed him, but something. They can either go back and tell everybody that they were wrong. Or they can come up with some story. So the skeptic suggests that the disciples came up with a story about a resurrected Jesus. I know, let's do this. Let's say he rose from the dead. Yeah, yeah, that'll work, that'll work, that'll work. Here's how we're going to do it. The problem with that story is multiple, or the problems are multiple. Number one, note that throughout the Gospels, when Jesus explains to the disciples, I'm going to rise from the dead, the disciples turn around and say, what does that mean? We don't even understand what you're talking about, Jesus. It makes no sense. Mark chapter 9, Mark chapter 10. The disciples are like, I don't know what it means. You ask him. And the I'm not asking him. You ask him. They were afraid to ask him, it says in Mark 10, what rising from the dead even meant. If the disciples don't know what it meant, how's anybody else going to know what it means? And if nobody else knows what it means, who's going to believe it? You don't come up with a story that no one's going to believe. Now let me explain. The reason why the disciples didn't understand what it meant was because in the Jewish worldview, the, the, their way of thinking uh, they believe that at the end of all human history, God would raise everyone from the dead, both the wicked and the righteous. The, the, the righteous to everlasting life, the wicked might be of everlasting punishment, but that resurrection would be of all people at the end of time. But Jesus is clearly walking around saying, hey guys, here's what's going to happen. I'm going to go to Jerusalem. I'm going to say all these things. They're not going to like it. Can you believe that? They're going to crucify me. It'll be okay because I'm going to rise again in the third day. What does rising from the dead on the third day? Because that doesn't make any sense. No, no, no. And, and after I rise from the dead, you're going to go out to Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria, and you're going to go tell everybody. You're like, this makes no sense, Jesus. Because if you rise from the dead, then we rise from the dead. And there is no after you rise from the dead. It's the end. If all people rise at the end of history, and, and it's the end of history, then Jesus' resurrection as an individual before the end of time makes no sense. So there's your first problem. The disciples would never have come up with this story. Because A, it doesn't fit with their worldview and it made no sense to them. And B, it certainly would have made no sense to anybody else and nobody would have believed it. And you don't tell a story that no one's going to believe. You might as well just go back to Galilee and start fishing again. Furthermore, when you tell the story, you don't have as your first eyewitnesses women. Nothing personal in our modern context, but in that world, that made no sense. A woman's testimony was not valid in the court of law. Notice that even later on, the two men from Emmaus, uh, the disciples go, Hey, look, uh, some of the disciples found him. According to the story we just read, the women found him first. But they don't refer to the women. Uh, The story makes no sense because if you're going to proclaim a resurrection, you don't do it in Jerusalem. Because that's where the tomb is. You see, a resurrection needs an empty tomb. An empty tomb presents a problem. If you go out and say he rose from the dead, and the Jewish authorities have the body, because let's say they took it, and that's why the tomb's empty. As soon as you say Jesus rose from the dead, the, disciples, the Jews are going to bring the body out and say, uh, We knew you guys would do something funny. So we took the body just to make sure you couldn't come up with any funny stories. And if the Romans took the body, the same, the Jewish authorities would have made sure, Hey, we need that body back. The only possible explanation now would be that the disciples stole the body. But this isn't going to make sense either. Because first off, if they stole the body, they're not going to come up with a story about how Jesus rose from the dead because no one's going to believe that story because it doesn't make sense to us. It certainly won't make sense to you. But furthermore, if the disciples stole the body of Jesus, they're not going to go walking around teaching things like, you know, if you want to join our group, you have to sell all your possessions, then come follow us because you have to be poor to join our community. Jesus himself said, blessed are the poor. And he also said, you know, if your right eye caused you to stumble, pluck it out. If you want to be a part of our community, you have to have an intensely high moral standard. No money, no wealth, a high morality. Oh, and guess what? Get ready to get persecuted and thrown in prison for this. If you're going to make up a story, you're going to make up a story where you benefit. But the disciples don't benefit. They're poor. They're persecuted. They're in prison. They have to live to a high standard of morality. Oh, and then guess what? in the year 64 A.D. when Nero burns the city of Rome down and blames it on the Christians. And he has Peter and Paul brought before the authorities to be killed for the cause of burning down Rome because Nero blamed it on the Christians. Now you got a guy named Peter sitting there going, you know, this has been a fun ride for the last 30 years, but I'm sorry, I am not going to the cross for this one, so guess what, it's a hoax. I mean, if Peter stole the body of Jesus, there's only so far you go for a lie, and that is you don't die for it. You don't die for something that you know is a lot. You might die for something that you think is true, and you're just deluded. Many cultic followers have done that. They thought their leader was was really who they thought they was. But Peter and the disciples would know Jesus is is, is not real and and not legitimately the Messiah if they stole the body. So Peter's not going to go to a cross for this. But there's something far more significant, and that is this. Thousands of Jews... And Romans, over the next 10, 20, 30, 40, 50, 60 years, became followers of Jesus. When the story makes no sense, the story is about a crucified Jewish man in the bottom of, 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 the, of the Roman Empire who was crucified for a capital crime against Rome. And this is Why would anybody follow this guy? Because the disciples came up with a story about how he rose from the dead? Which wouldn't have made sense in the Jewish world, maybe the Roman world, they, they might have bought the story. But who's, what's the motivation to follow Jesus? You, you're going to have to give up all your money. You have to live to a high standard of morality. You might end up in prison or dead. But something more important, and that there's a man named Paul. You see, if the disciples stole the body, okay, great, one thing. They're going to go around telling everybody about Jesus rising from the dead and, 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 and propagating the story. But how do you explain Paul? Because the Christian story is that Paul was a Jewish leader... In Jerusalem, who violently opposed Christianity, so that after the disciples began saying he rose from the dead and start telling everybody about this, Paul began persecuting and imprisoning the Christians, and apparently was overseeing the death of Stephen, recorded in Acts chapter seven. Paul is not in on the, on the hoax. Paul's not in on the story. And Paul's a a, a diligent Jewish leader, uh, aspiring to greatness in the Jewish world, who has a strong religious conviction that you Christians are blaspheming our God by calling Jesus the Christ, the Son of God. And you Christians need to be persecuted and, uh, and opposed. And all of a sudden, now, this Paul becomes a Christian? How? Why? Explain. There's no explanation except Jesus appeared to me. If Jesus appeared to Paul, then you can explain his conversion. But he's not in on the story making this thing up, like the disciples would have been, which wouldn't have made sense anyways. And and there's others, like James, the brother of Jesus, who, according to the Gospel stories, Jesus' own brothers did not believe in him. But then after the resurrection, Jesus appeared to James, and now James becomes the leader of the Jerusalem church. People who were not in on the initial story are following Jesus. Jesus. By the thousands and the thousands and the thousands. And as we go to the book of Acts, the thing to notice is every single speech is focused on Jesus Christ risen from the dead. From the dead. I need water. And if it's true, then it needs to radically affect our lives. Radically affect not just our hopes. That's point number two. Number one, he rose from the dead. Number two, we will rise from the dead. But number three, resurrection life begins now. Let's pray. Father, you have not left us without testimony. Even in the midst of our doubts and uncertainties that we too have, it's comforting to know the disciples doubted because it's okay to doubt. It's okay to wonder. We we simply don't know everything. We can't know anything with absolute certainty of, of, of such a nature. But yet, The story makes sense. It makes sense how a good God, a loving God, could allow suffering and evil to come in this world because you were going to do something about it by dying and suffering yourself. And then by defeating death and resurrecting so that we too can experience resurrection life, both now and in the future. We pray for your grace and your mercy, Lord. Help us in our unbelief. Increase our faith. Help us, Lord, to recognize that The things of this world matter, and they're they're not unimportant, but but they're trivial compared to the eternity in your kingdom. So we worry about our homes and our our kids, and we worry about our health, we worry about our income and our jobs, and we worry about our neighbors and conflicts, and yet if we rest in you, we can find peace and wisdom and discernment. And trust that you will care for us as you care for the birds of the air and the lilies of the field. And trust that there's a better way, a way of love, and a way of submission, and a way of death and resurrection, and not a way of power and military. So Lord, help us to be resurrection people, not just on Sundays when we come together, but throughout every single day, Monday through Saturday as well. We thank you for your mercy and your grace. And then Lord, empower us with the truth of the Gospels, we open the book of Acts in January, and we see the stories of the work of your Spirit in amongst your church and amongst your people, and help us to have the living experience with the Spirit as well in our lives. And as we see the disciples proclaiming the Gospel of Jesus Christ dead, buried, and risen again, help us also to proclaim Jesus Christ dead, buried, and risen again, not just in our words, but also in our deeds. And, Lord, we hear those sirens going by now, and we pray, Lord, for your mercy and grace upon whatever that situation may be. Give the officers or whoever is involved safety and and protection and watch over them to bring peace and justice and protect those who might be suffering. We thank you for your grace now and all that you've given to us. We ask for your blessings upon us this day. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to today's podcast. If you would like more information on the Determined Truth podcast, you can find us on iTunes, you can follow Rob's blog at DeterminedTruth.com or purchase his books on Amazon.com. See you next time.